Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Uh, we're not looking at chapter 3. You can read that. There's lots to learn. Uh, there in particular, you will see the division of labor, how people work together, and uh, the technical aspects of working together. Well, we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 4 today, and we'll hear God's words from verses 1 through 6. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes upon it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. And give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. We know God will bless his words to our hearts. When the world mocks you. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only do you have to prepare yourself for real life, you have to prepare your children for real life also. You have to teach them to worship. You have to teach them to eat properly. You have to teach them to exercise. You have to teach them to be honest, to work hard, to care for others, to fulfill their social responsibilities. And even to save up for their future. But there's another area in which you must prepare your children. You must prepare them to face the mocking of the world. And yet continue in their faithful duty to Almighty God. And this is what you will hear about today. Our headings are three and very simple. The world will mock you. But you must pray for them. And you must do your work. Our goals are that you will prepare yourself and your children to handle the mocking that you will receive. And we're starting to get more and more of that in this land. And you will do so by focusing on God's salvation in Jesus Christ. That you'll focus on the signs or the sacraments. And that you will remember the security you have because of the work of the cross that we learn of in God's word. Let's first look at the world will mock you. And we see that in the first few verses of chapter 4. Now as the work of rebuilding Jerusalem's walls progressed. With all kinds of people doing all different kinds of jobs. That's chapter 3. And making strong walls for the security of the city. Which enabled the people to be able to worship God. And to progress in their lives. But those who opposed the Jews started to mock them. 
In other words, when they got serious about the work of preparing the, the land for worship and the land from which Christ would come, then they endured opposition. When the land was laid barren for 70 plus years, no one cared about what they did. But when they started to be faithful, opposition came. And what is this mocking? Mocking here is simply verbal taunting in order to cause harm. Different kinds of harm, mental harm, physical harm, spiritual harm. Now who was the chief mocker? His name was Sanballat. The chief mocker mocked the Jews because he was angry and indignant about what they were doing. He didn't really hit the walls. The walls didn't do him anything. It was, that the fact, it was the fact that the Jews posed a threat to Sanballat's power and his prophet. So he mocked them. He felt if he mocked them, if he laughed at them, if he taunted them, that they would stop doing the work that they were doing, this important work. Now Sanballat did not just mock the Jews to their faces. He also went home in Samaria, the capital city of the northern ten and a half tribes, the sort of half-breed Jews who were living there at this time. And he told them, and he told the army, he was riling his people up in opposition to God's people in their work. He was fomenting hatred against the people of God, against his own half-brothers. Now consider the details of his taunting, of his mocking of the people of God. He said to them, these feeble Jews are, or these Jews are feeble. They're weak. They're frail. They're attempting a hopeless project. And this is not simply a, a mocking them for their physical inabilities or the physical weaknesses. This is really saying they were not committed to the work that they were doing. He, were, he was questioning their moral character. And many times Christians bow quickly to them. I remember uh, my son working for a grocery store, a Chinese owner, and he said, well, we pay whatever, it was $10 an hour on a regular day. But when you work on Sunday, you will get double pay. And my son said, no, I won't work on Sunday. And he said, well, every Christian who said he didn't work on Sunday, when I offered him 20 bucks, he worked on Sundays. The pressure makes people change. The moral character wasn't there. And that's what he, Sanballat was counting on, that the Christians would bend and give in. What they forgot, what he forgot, was that these feeble Jews had a powerful father who would strengthen them. And when he said, you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, it was a spiritual blessing that those Christians have that we have that we can say no to sin that we are made more than conquerors through him who loved us and it's conquering sin and death and hell next he said well the Jews can't protect themselves with these walls they assumed that because the Jews were feeble that they couldn't protect themselves he forgot that the Bible says in Psalm 91, I will give my angels charge over you. You talk about protection. The Jews didn't have it of themselves, but God did. Remember what God said to, what Satan said to uh, God. You put a hedge around Job. He knew what was there. So the Jews themselves couldn't be strong. 
But the Lord was on their side, and he will give his angels, and he gave his angels charge over them. Third, he said the Jews will not be able to make sacrifices. Why was that important? Because he knew when he made sacrifices to the true and living God, that God would bless people who worshipped him. Because those sacrifices were, were reminding them of the Lord Jesus Christ who would come to die for their sins. So their goal is, if we stop them from rebuilding these walls, then the sacrifices will not go up anymore. They forgot that the Lord knew those who were his. And he was able to protect them because they trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And isn't it what we see in many places around the world? We don't have to make sacrifices of animals today. But remember what Hebrews says. We come with a sacrifice of praise into the house of God. So what do they try to stop? The sacrifices of praise that will go up to God. Four, he says the Jews will take forever to build the wall. They were mocking them and said, you think they can build it in a day? Well, they were able to complete the rebuilding of the walls in 52 days. An incredible feat because the people had a mind to work. And they forgot what happened to Jericho. Remember the people of God marched around that city and how did the walls fall? Walls that were thick enough for houses to be built on them. And just with the shout of the Jewish people and the blowing of their trumpets, the walls came tumbling down. You think God couldn't build up walls that were strong when he could tear down walls that were that thick and big by his power? Of course he could. Fifth, he said, those Jews won't be able to use those burnt stones now burnt stones, the stones then were largely limestone. So you put limestone in fire and the, the Babylonians had burned the city walls. So those stones would be cracked or not as useful, not as strong. So they said, no, they can't, they can't rebuild because they'll have weaknesses. They won't be able to make enough stones to be able to rebuild those walls. They forgot that God took, what, dirt, mud, and he made man. And look at what man has been able to accomplish. From dirt. Why couldn't God bless, those, bless the dirt again. And make them into strong walls. You see they were underestimating God. They were thinking that these things were accomplished. Simply by the power of mankind. And they forgot that it was God who was working. He was the one with the power. No wonder they went about mocking God that way. One more thing. Then the other one kicked in. Tobiah. The one whose name means God is good. A good name. And not just any God. Jehovah God. So he had some relation. The Ammonites where Tobiah was from were the half brothers of the Jews. They came from the incestuous relationship of Lot and his daughter. Now he kicked in and said you know what. Even if a fox climbs up on the wall and foxes are skinny little things and there were many foxes there after the the Babylonians tore down the walls of Jerusalem the foxes roam wild and they would go and scare people at night and he says if one of those fox climb upon these newly built walls they will fall down look how they mocked him 
They forgot something. That God was working in his people. And his people loved him. And he loved his people. And because they had a mind to work. They were building these walls. And they were strong. With the help of God. Who could stop God's kingdom. They had to learn that. But that was their mocking. What can we learn from their mocking? First of all, the world will attack you and your children by mocking you. You know, Karl Marx used to say of Christians, religion is the opiate of the people. They're just addicted to it. Or you will hear, oh, you are, you Christians, you don't believe in science, forgetting that science was really developed by Christian people. You don't believe in science, you believe in superstition about God and, and what will happen after you die and all of that. They'll mock you for that. And yet, if you think about it, what they believe, what, what atheists believe, that out of chaos, order came. Out of nothing, something came. Things just appeared out of nothing. They're the ones who are superstitious. We have grounds for it, an almighty, everlasting always existing God or people will mock you in different ways they might say to you especially young ladies you're dressing modestly say look at how you're dressing like if it's the middle ages you need to loosen up a little bit dress like the world fit in but what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 verse 11 he says blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake Jesus said, if they persecute me, they'll persecute, they'll persecute you. Now, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Your children may not be aware of the mocking that's taking place. Many of them are young. We've seen a number of them baptized in the last little while. You have to prepare them for what is coming their way. There's so much pressure in trying to fit in to be like everyone else. And they have to learn the distinction between what is God's and what is the world. And not care what the world says about them as long as they're pleasing God. That's the strength of character they need to develop. It doesn't come magically. It comes by the word of God and the spirit of God working in them. In the heart of the world is hatred for Christ. They hate the joy and the peace you have and they will mock you for them. And your children have better be prepared for what's coming as things appear to be even worse at this time. Know that the world will attack you. Know that the world hates you. And that's the source of the mocking. Don't be naive and think that the world likes you and therefore you try to fit in. Matthew Henry said it this way. He said the strength and safety of the church. Are the grief and vexation of her enemies. She can't stand. They can't stand the thought that you the bride of Christ. Are strong and you're safe. And you have peace and you have joy even in the midst of trouble. Next. You will never be able to satisfy other religions and peacefully coexist with them in this world. Other religions can get along with other religions, but not with Christianity. You know why? Because the Bible is exclusive. 
And it says there's only one God. And all other gods are false. And all those who don't believe in the true living God will spend eternity in hell. They can't stand that thought. So we're not able to coexist with them in a peaceful way. Now we can tolerate the existence of other religions while we preach the gospel of Christ and watch him convert them. But they don't have that power. That's why they resort to violence against Christians. That's why they physically try to stop us because they know the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, Sometimes religions look like they can coexist. And you might know some people who are nice and they seem to, you can get along with them. But let them have the power and then you will see. A good example of that is India. When India was impoverished and people sent aid there, there was freedom of religion. You could go any place. Now, many states in India have banned the conversion of anyone to Christianity. They've got money now. We've invested there. We've got all our call centers. They're rich. What do we do? What do they do? They punish Christians. We have one of our own missionaries who was expelled from India. They don't want us to go there anymore. Item that's trying to send teachers there. They're not given visas to go if they're going to go to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the same thing happened in many countries where people coexisted. Christians and Muslims, they got along fine until the Muslims became, had the power. This happened throughout the Middle East. Then Christians became the targets. We have to be ready to deal with that. One more lesson. God despises those who despise his people. So don't fear them. Justice will come upon them. Proverbs 3.34 says, Surely he scorns the scornful but gives grace to the humble. Don't panic that the world hates you because we are on the side of the conquering one. The one who rides out on the white horse to conquer the nations, not with violence, but to the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the end, those who reject him will face his ultimate judgment. So that's the reality. The world hates us. The world will mock us because of that. We threaten them. They can't stand the fact they're trained to oppose Christ and Christianity. What should you do then? The natural response is, and it has happened times where Christians acted uh, in an improper way. In Africa, for example, when the Muslims have attacked Christians, they turned around and started to attack them. Well, that's vigilante. That's a vigilanteism. That's not what God's word says. The first thing we should do is to pray. And we see an example of that in Nehemiah's life. Look at verse 4. He says, Hear, O, o our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Nehemiah's response to the mocking and taunting was not to respond in petulance, but in prayer to Almighty God. And that's what we pray for. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, Your kingdom come. He's not saying, Lord, give us weapons so we can go and fight and kill people. No. Lord, give us the strength to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that the world might bow. And if they won't bow, you know what you promised to them. Bring justice upon their heads so that the gospel will continue to spread. You see, some people stand in the way of the expansion of the kingdom. And God, in his justice, 
will bring justice upon them. Look how the psalmist talks about this in Psalm 38. The psalmist wrote, But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. For in you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear, O my God. The sin of the psalmist left him hopeless. But then he goes to God and says, I hope, I hope in you, I know you will hear. Now look at the prayer, the details of the prayer he made, and uh, Nehemiah made. This was not a wimpy prayer, by the way. And I think it's a good lesson for us to learn. Because you see that in a lot of the Psalms, there are many Psalms called the Psalms of imprecation, or Psalms of cursings, or Psalms of judgment upon those who do wickedly. And keep in mind, these are not, you're not praying for justice upon your enemies, you're praying for justice upon God's enemies. Why? Because you might make enemies because of your bad behavior. And there's sometimes Christians are hated, and, and we've contributed to the fact that we are hated because of the way we have lived. But look at Nehemiah's prayer now. Nehemiah addressed his prayer to his God, the true and living God, showing a distinction between his God and Sanballat's God. He said, hear, O our God. Second, Nehemiah acknowledged these men hated the Jews. The Jews were God's chosen people, and they were doing what God commanded. They had to rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple, return to worship, and wait for Messiah to come. But these men hated the Jews and hindered them from their work. Third, Nehemiah asked God to turn Sanballat's shame on his own head. To make him be conquered and taken captive as the Jews were taken captive because of their sin. He wanted God to expose his sin so the world could see how wicked this man was. And you see a picture of this again in Psalm. Psalm 69 verse 24 and following. The psalmist says, and listen carefully to the psalmist. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in their tents for they persecute the ones you have struck and talked of the grief of those you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out from the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Psalmist was saying, you know, you are punishing your people, but these people are coming in now and abusing them. You know the old saying, you don't want your neighbor to discipline your children. You won't be happy about that, would you? You will discipline your children as a good father, a good mother. But you don't want your neighbor to do it. And that's what the psalmist is crying out. Those who are attempting to hurt God's people are sinning against Almighty God. Or Psalm 79 verse 12. He says, And return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom, their reproach with which they have reproached you, O God. How do they reproach God? They attack God's people. They're the ones that God loved. And he said, Bring sevenfold justice upon them. Now, Nehemiah wasn't against God covering their sins if they repented of their sins. There's always room, as long as there's life, there's hope. 
And we must pray, even as we pray for justice to come upon others, that they will repent of their sins and be restored to God through the work of Jesus Christ. Four, Nehemiah reminded God that Sanballat was making God angry by attacking his loving people, or the people he loved. Five, Nehemiah was not being vindictive or revengeful. Sanballat was actually opposing God and trying to stop the worship of God. What is the worst sin in the Bible? What is the sin that required the harshest punishment in the Bible? It was for those who stopped or corrupted the worship of God. You know, when we think of sin, we think of homosexuality or murder because we think very much about ourselves, about sins against us are lesser sins than sins against the worship of God. That's why you have law one through four that deal with our love and worship of God. Those laws came first. It's terrible to murder. It's terrible to commit adultery. Well, the worst sins are for those who corrupted the worship of God. And that's what Nehemiah emphasized. God, these people are opposing you and trying to stop your worship. What can we learn here? I have four more lessons. First of all, your first instinct when you are attacked is to attack back, isn't it? But your first response must be to pray for those who oppose you. Pray that God will save them. And if they will not repent. That he will bring justice upon them. Second. Pray that God will protect you. Your children. His church. From the mocking of the world. So you don't feel pressure to compromise. You know when people laugh at you. You sort of hide away. If you bow your head to pray in your workplace. Before you have your lunch. And people. What are you doing? The tendency is to try to avoid doing that in the future. But pray that God will protect you from the mocking of the world. Or even when the world mocks. That you will be bold and do what is right. Pray God will punish his enemies. Those who are bent on harm against God's children. And hindering them from their ability to worship That's why we have those imprecatory psalms. You know the psalms are to be committed to memory. To be sung. And more than that. You were to commit them to the memory of your children. Including the imprecatory psalms. The psalms of justice. You know we live in a very wimpy society. We don't have capital punishment. And that's bad enough. But in the scriptures what was required was public capital punishment. Where the group of the the people who lived there, including the children, could see what happened to those who committed wickedness. And the whole community participated in that. Can you imagine that in our wimpy society today where people cringe about killing a rat? Imagine when you have to do a public execution. But that's what God required. Why? Because it was an attack on the image of God. Our weakened society is not able to take it, but we should. We should retrain ourselves to understand the seriousness of God's justice. And one more. While we pray that God will punish his enemies, we must also pray that God will pardon the sins of his enemies who repent of their sins and they show it. And they trust in Jesus Christ to carry the burden of their sins. 
You see, the two things work together. When a man knows he's going to be executed for his murder, he's pushed to make his life right with God. And we must pray for that. We shouldn't love revenge. We should love justice. Just like when someone is excommunicated from the church, it's not, oh, good riddance. It's God's punishment, so he will come back in the way of righteousness. That's what we pray for. Excommunication is the highest form of love. Because you want that person to come back right with God. So you would exercise discipline against him. So we learn. The world will mock you. And in very severe ways. You and your children. They'll mock how you live. How you teach your children. How you dress. How you work. Your lifestyle. Where you choose to live and all of that. But you must start with praying. Praying that God will save them. And if they won't. Submit to God that God will bring justice upon those who do wickedly. Who are hindering his church from growing. Then there's something more you must do. You must work. Verse 6. Acknowledging the mocking. uh, And then praying. Nehemiah then set out to continue the work. Of rebuilding the walls. To protect the people. And to promote the worship of God. They did not allow themselves to be distracted with the mocking. And the people then worked until the entire repairing of the wall was completed, at least halfway up. And they did this because they were committed to the task. And the Bible said they had a mind to work. Sometimes we can misuse this story of Nehemiah and make the walls, the church, and try to make it into a big allegory. There's danger in doing that. This is really teaching us about our work for the kingdom. Much bigger than simply building up walls and the people here committed themselves to this work because they were thinking security for the people prosperity for the nation again but more than that the worship will go up to God and more than that there they will wait for Messiah to come as they made those pictures of the sacrifice of Jesus they will look forward for the time when he will come and march out through that valley gate and head to Calvary What can we learn from here? I've got three more lessons for you. First of all, prayer is necessary, but don't pray when you should be working. You got that? Prayer is necessary, but don't pray when you should be working. Some people kind of make things into this deep spiritual, and it really becomes superstitious in a way, the way they use prayer. But if you want a wife, don't just pray for one. But go out and meet young ladies who are godly. Dress nicely. Smell good. Work hard. Do the things that you should do to find that one that God expects you to do. Let them see a godly life in you. If you're hiding in your house, they'll never see that godliness. If you're a woman, you're looking for a husband. Live a godly life. Dress well. Present yourself well. Prepare. Learn the skills of being a wife, and then start talking to godly men. Don't be ashamed to do so. They're God's children, and he's got one for you. You go out there and look. Don't pray when you should be working. You see, a good thing as prayer can become a bad thing 
if you should be doing something else when you should be instead of praying. Even your prayer can become a sin to you because you're starting to use it in a superstitious way. It's work and pray, work and pray. You want to serve as an elder? Live well, study hard. Start doing the work of an elder. You don't have to be formally in consistory to pray for people and to encourage people and to visit people. You can start doing that work now. You can start getting good books, listening to good sermons. Start doing the work. So prayer is necessary, but don't pray when you should be working. Second, specific to this passage today, play your part in rebuilding the kingdom of Jesus Christ. A kingdom that has fallen in very hard times. A kingdom with broken down walls. We look at the church. There's so much compromise. You know I've heard so many preachers just in the last week for some reason. Who are mocking the church for not having women pastors. Think of how far we have fallen. At some of the biggest names in the world where preaching is concerned is mocking the church because we don't have women pastors. Probably seen the ones. Jesus carried, uh, sorry, Mary carried a word of, of life in her for nine months. Why can't she preach? Because God said no. But that's the way the world sees things today. We are in hard times. People use any excuse to not go to church. They will not use those excuses about going to work. They'll find a way to get to work, even with their back pain. I hope none of you has that, but you, you know what I mean. You, go to, you find a way to go to work. And you, should make, you should even more be willing to sacrifice so that you can worship God. So that you can get the training. You make training. If you want to improve and get a better career, you'll do night school. Well, pick up some theology book and learn and grow so you can serve the church. Maybe the Lord is calling you into, into ministry. Put in the work. That's what God has called you to do. Don't just pray. Work. Third, don't mope about how much people don't like you. Don't allow your enemies to distract you from the work God has called you to do. If you've got non-believing family, they probably criticize the way you raise your children. The discipline you have in your life. They will mock you for that. Don't allow your enemies to distract you. Do what God says concerning your children. You spank your children as God has commanded you to do. And he says if you don't do it it's a sign of hate. Keep doing that because God has commanded you to do that. People criticize how much time you spend in worship. You go to worship twice on Sunday. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Ignore them. When you say, I let the word of God reflect in my whole life, and I have a Christian world and life view for of him and through him and to him are all things, Romans eleven thirty six. And I said, You you should have a distinction between what is sacred and what is secular. It's okay if you want to do a religious thing on Sunday, but Monday and Tuesday you're dealing with the real world. And you say, Yeah, I'm dealing with the real world according to what God has said to me. Get back to the work that God has called you to do. Let's conclude. Sanballat and Tobiah mocked God's people. Insulting them in personal ways. Insulting their God. Insulting their commitment to God. But instead of going into the mud with these animals. 
Nehemiah committed himself to pray, uh, to pray for God's justice on the wicked and pray for the protection of the godly and pray for the conversion of those who hated God. And then he urges people, let's get back to work. We work and we pray. We won't allow the mocking of the world to distract us from the work of God. So brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, you know what kind of world all of these young children we have here will be raised in. A world that will mock them as they serve God. A world that will accuse them of being brainwashed, of being unscientific. Because they don't believe in the fallacy and superstition of evolution. They will grow in a world where they'll, be, they'll, they'll lose opportunities because of their faith. They'll not be invited to some people's houses. Even relatives because they stand up for truth. That's the reality. How do you prepare your children to deal with these inevitable attacks and keep working for Christ? First of all, don't argue with fools. And I use fools in the way the Bible uses it. People who don't believe in God. People who reject God. They can't discern spiritual things. So don't argue with them. It makes no sense to do so. Instead focus on whose you are. Who are you? You're a child of Jesus Christ. And you have a family that loves you. Not just in your home. But the family of God. We are going to have to learn. To get along even more. And stick closer. And support each other. As the mocking of the world increases. You have to learn that you are saved for eternity. You have to learn that you are saving up your treasures in heaven. Not on this earth. You have to learn that you have been declared righteous by Jesus Christ. Through his work. By his life and his death. You have to remember that you are wanted by God. And that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. This is how you prepare yourself and your children. To face the inevitable attacks that are coming and are even already here. But then also pray for God to save those who attack you. That their eyes will be turned to their own sins. And that they will trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. And if they refuse to return. That you would also tell God. Lord if they won't. Let the psalms of justice come upon their heads. Pray those psalms as well. Those prayers of imprecation, not on your enemies, but upon those who oppose God and his kingdom. And finally, all who oppose God's kingdom will die. Die without hope, and they will spend eternity in hell. If you're one of those who opposes God right now, ask God to make you his child through Jesus Christ. And he will do so. He promised to do so. You know why? Because Jesus died to make those who are estranged from God to come near and to be adopted in his family.